Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. All right, let's get into the Word today. An international theater group uh, went to a small village in Scotland, and uh, the church where they were doing the program was packed. And, uh, and so they began with some short, humorous plays, but nobody laughed at the first one, and so they did a second one, and again, nobody laughed. By the third one, the director of the, of the theater group said, you know, I don't think they like us very much. Nobody's laughing at what we're doing. We, we should probably cut the program short. After the program, they had a reception, and uh, while they were at the reception, uh, people were saying how much they enjoy the performance, and so this group was like, I don't understand, how did they, nobody laughed, I don't, they, how did they really uh, do that, until somebody uh, overheard one of the kilt-clad gentlemen say to his friends, oh, they were so funny, it was all I could do to keep from laughing in church. Now you're laughing. I'm glad you're laughing in church. It's okay to laugh in church, but I think sometimes we think it's okay to laugh everywhere else, but we got to be solemn in church. There's something about not being able to be joyful as believers, and yet when we come to know Jesus Christ, how many know that, that he wants us to live lives of joy? To experience joy, to live our lives with joy. I think some people kind of don't, don't think or, or, or connect joy to church. In fact, I think they think of church like some kind of health food. It doesn't taste good, but you know, I know it's good for me, so I have to endure it. Hopefully you don't feel like that about my messages. Joy and gladness just aren't associated sometimes with church, and yet the Bible declares in Psalm 16:11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come on, isn't that good? Isn't that good? I mean, to reflect the image of the Lord and images uh, of His people, God has called us to rejoice, to be people of, that, that, are, that are filled with joy. Now, again, there are some people that your natural temperament, you are just a joyful person, right? Do we have any tiggers in the house? Right? Not everybody's a tigger though, right? There are some folks that struggle and maybe a little more like Eeyore. Sorry for the Winnie the Pooh references. You know what I'm saying? But this is not about a temperament. This is about an internal joy, a joy in the Lord that he provides. And there's actually a command in scripture when it comes to rejoicing and to be joyful. Psalm 9, 2 says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name most high. In Philippians 4, 4, Paul wrote this to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Not rejoice in the Lord sometimes, rejoice in the Lord always. There's a decision that we can make, a choice that we can make to rejoice. And in the book of Nehemiah today, we're going to gloss over chapter 7. It's a lot of genealogies. I'll touch on it, but we're not going to get into it. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, what happens is the work on the walls is, is completed. And Nehemiah turns his attention from the work on the walls to a work that has to happen in the people. A work that needs to take place in the people. So there's a shift from the work on the walls to a rebuilding and a reviving in the hearts of the people. 
And in this book, we've noticed that Nehemiah's work, God has given him the strength to do what God had called him to do. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, the walls of Jerusalem were completed in 52 days. Just 52 days. There was intense opposition, but Nehemiah showed great determination to be able to complete the work that God had given him to do. And even though the walls were completed, friends, there is more work to be done. There's more work to be done. Even though the visible walls had been finished, there was a spiritual internal work that God wanted to do in reviving the hearts of his people. Nehemiah showed us that when facing hardships or opposition, you can endure and press forward. But sometimes endurance and and strength oftentimes can cause us to kind of lose heart, maybe even become a little grumpy. But Nehemiah says that restoring the hearts of the people had to also include restoring their joy in the Lord. To set the stage again, the children of Israel had been taken into captivity. That was what had happened. They had disobeyed God. They had worshipped other idols. We talked about this. The Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar had come, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned down the walls and the gates, destroyed the temple, and took the people back to exile. But then after a period of time, after 70 years of captivity under a Medo-Persian empire that had came in and a king by the name of Cyrus, in three waves, the people were released to go back and they first rebuilt the temple of the Lord, reestablishing their worship with God. And then Nehemiah had a heart and a burden to come back and restore the city, restoring its walls and its protection and its gates and to begin to restore life back to the city of Jerusalem. However, many people had not returned. The settings of chapter 7 and 8 is that with the walls rebuilt, many people hadn't moved back to the city. Even though the city had been defenseless and uninhabited for a while, now it was. And there was an invitation for people to be able to come. And in chapter 7, we see genealogies. It's basically a book of genealogies. It's a list of, of names that, to be honest with you, is hard to read and a little less exhilarating. A little less joyful to read genealogies. How many of you love when you're doing your Bible reading and you come to Old Testament genealogies? Right? I'm in the book of, of Numbers right now. Okay? Numbers has a, lot of, has a lot of numbers and genealogy. Sometimes it's hard to get through those things. But there was a reason. You see, what the important message was is that, that God had not revoked his promises. That under these waves of people that had come back, they were able to link those people back to the generations before, which would also help link them to the promises that was yet to come. That God had not stopped his promises to his people just because they were in exile. But by returning them and going through the genealogies, God said, what I did for your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will do for you. And I will continue my promises to David and my covenant with him on the throne. I will continue my promises through you. There should have been more amens to that. That's okay. Right in the middle of Nehemiah chapter 8 is a pivotal verse. And and we're going to surround this this verse. And this is what is going to capture our theme this morning. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10 says this, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, in Nehemiah chapter 8, what happens is they begin to prepare for this moment through the reading of what they call the law. It was really the reading of God's word. And the joy of the Lord by God himself 
possesses and is revealed to us through His Word. And so through the proclamation of the Word and a greater understanding of God's Word, the people who had returned from exile began to experience renewal and began to experience revival and began to experience the joy once again of the Lord. And so I want to just share with you three principles of how to receive and walk in the joy of the Lord. How do we receive and walk in the joy of the Lord? I believe that there are some today that you've been walking, but it hasn't been joyful. You maybe have been in a battle or a struggle, or maybe you've experienced some grief over this last year or in your life. And today, I want to encourage you that there is joy in the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do we receive and walk in the joy of the Lord? First, the joy of the Lord comes when we value and prioritize the Word of God. Begins by valuing and prioritizing the word of God. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 8. It opens with a request for a priest that had come in one of the earlier waves back when they were rebuilding the temple. His name is Ezra. He's a scribe and a priest. And they came and they said, hey, we want to hear the book of the law. This is what it says as they, they came and they gathered in the city of Jerusalem. It says this in verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Before they experienced joy, before they had, had come to this place where Nehemiah says, don't be grieved, the joy of the Lord is your strength. They prioritize the word of the Lord. The book of the law, that was the law of Moses. It probably included not only the Ten Commandments, but it probably included what they call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They may have been reading through that and, and reading through those laws, reading through those things as they had come out of Egypt and what God was recounting to them in terms of his law and his promises. And again, it contained both history and law. God had made his covenant with his people at Sinai. And if you read through the book of Deuteronomy and even through the end of the book of Leviticus, you will find that there are blessings that God promises upon his people if they will follow him and keep his covenant and his law. But there are also consequences and curses if they do not. And one of those curses, if they do not, was that they would, they would be taken up by their, their enemy and they would be returned to exile. But there was a promise that if they called out to the name of the Lord while we were there, he would restore back his people. This was being read to the people. And at this time, the scriptures, again, had not been, been really revealed like they are now. This was the, the word of God to them, but they valued it and they prioritized it. And it became a catalyst for revival and renewal among the people. How many know that God's word is the catalyst for revival and renewal in our hearts? His word has got to be the catalyst for revival and renewal in our hearts. His word is life. Hebrews says it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He, the, the word of God has to be hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against him. 
The word of God is alive and active, and it is what is restored. And so there they were, some things to note. Every, everyone was there, men and women, and some scholars even believe children because it says, and all who were able or old enough are able to understand. So maybe not the littlest of the little but even some children and teenagers were invited to come. Men and women and families stood there and they began to hear the word of the Lord. Second, they were attentive, listening from morning until noonday. Get this, most scholars believe that it was about six hours of listening to the word of God. Six hours. God bless you all. You listen to me for about 45 minutes. Six hours, that's, that's, like, that's like two of your favorite Lord of the Ring movies back to back. I mean, this is the binge watching of the Old Testament, okay? They binged on the Word of God. They binge listened to the Word of God. They stood there before Ezra listening to the Word of God. And thirdly, they prepared a platform. They prepared to hear it. They prepared this platform that Ezra stood on and, uh, and, and to, to have it read. And while that might have been for acoustic reasons... There's a good chance that it was more than that. They wanted everybody to be able to hear the word of the Lord. They built this platform and it says this in Nehemiah 8.5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people as he opened it and the people stood. Do you see the value they placed here? There's some words here, for he was above all of the people. That's not just simply because they built a platform, but that was to put a priority and a value on the word of God. And as he opened the word of God, everybody stood in honor of that. There used to be a sign of, of value and honor that if you were sitting uh, maybe at the dinner table and, and, uh, and maybe a, a woman had walked in, everybody would, a man would stand up in honor of the woman who was coming. Or if a king entered the room, everybody would stand up in honor. This is an example of being, of honoring and prioritizing and valuing the word of the Lord. It's also a sign of its authority in their lives. And Nehemiah 6 goes further in terms of how much they place this value on the word of God. Look what it says. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. Pastor Sam had us do that this morning. Right? It's biblical. Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Do you see the reverence? The, the reverence and the honor and the priority and the worship and the response that comes when we begin to listen in, to the word of the Lord, to the word of God. It shows the value. Nehemiah also and Ezra, they organized priests and Levites to make sure the people had an understanding of what was being read. So for six hours, as he's reading the book of the law, look what happens. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamim, Akub, Shabbathiah. I tried to, to, to work on these. Hodadiah, or Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabed, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
They wanted the people to be able to understand. It had been a long time. They had been 70 years in captivity. It had been a long time since they gathered to begin to go back and to say, this is the law of the Lord. This is what the word of God says to us. This is what, this is what God's word says. There is a priority that is placed on the word of God. And I know that sometimes when you read your Bible, it is difficult for you to understand. I get that. I can acknowledge that. It's hard sometimes to say, how do I understand in a culture that I don't live in, and I live in this culture, how can I begin to understand things that were happening in that culture? That sometimes makes it complicated to understand the word. Yet we live in a day and age where you've got a, 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 a mini computer, most of you in your hand, a smartphone that has apps on it, Bible study tools and apps and all kinds of free resources that can help you if you want to understand the word of the Lord. It's available to us unlike any other time. One of the greatest revivals in Israel's history was during the reign of a young king. His name was Josiah. He started reigning when he was eight years old. Later on as a teenager, as he ascended, 2 Kings 22.8 says that, that he, they, they brought to him, he had discovered the book of the law. That's this, the book of the law. And he began to open it up and, and he began to read what it says. Many people believe it was the book of Deuteronomy that he had opened. And because Josiah was a righteous king, when he read those things, he began to, to tear his clothes as an act of saying, I repent, I'm hearing the word and we're not doing this. And he began to tor tear his clothes because he realized that his fathers had led the people astray into idolatry and not follow the Lord's commands. And as a result of that, he began to institute reforms all around Jerusalem and in their worship and getting rid of their idol worship and getting rid of, uh, of all of those things. And it began a great revival in the nation of Israel as long as he was on the throne as king. Friends, if you want to see change in your life, if you want to see change in your family, if we want to see change in this church, if we want to experience revival in this church, we've got to prioritize the word of God. We've got to value the word of the Lord. We've got to dedicate ourselves to the word of the Lord. I think the reason we don't grow spiritually in our lives or experience the change we want to is perhaps because we don't value or prioritize the word of the Lord. But pastor, I don't have time to read the word of God, but I can spend three to four hours scrolling on social media. But I don't have time to read the word of God, but I can sit and watch YouTube videos all day. I don't have time to read the word of the Lord. I can't read the word of God, but I can sit in front of my TV and binge watch my favorite Netflix episodes or Hulu episodes or Prime or whatever else junk I want to put into my mind. And I wonder why I have no change in my life. I wonder why I have the same problems that everybody around me and the culture around me has because I put the culture in my head and I try to say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus and I love the word of God, but I live like the devil in the world. Thought you were preaching on joy, Pastor. You can't have joy when you live like the rest of the world. Doesn't happen. You gotta, you gotta read the word of the Lord, see what God's word says, because God's word brings joy. This is what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped or may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
any renewal or revival in our lives must begin with an increased value on the word of the Lord. Second, the, the, the joy of the Lord comes out of true repentance. The joy of the Lord comes out of true repentance. Look at verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. Here it is, verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So again, this is what's happening. They're interacting with the Bible for around six hours and the Levites are going around helping them to be able to understand. And as they begin to hear the, 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 the words that are in the law, they begin to recognize where they had gone wrong. They had begun to recognize why their ancestors went uh, into exile. They began to understand why the, the consequences were so severe and, 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 and where things were at. And, and they began to examine their lives and they began to go, oh my goodness, we, we have not been following God's law. And, and the conviction from the word of God got into their hearts and they began to mourn and they began to weep. This was not a dramatic presentation. It was just simply a reading of God's word and they recognized the gap that had been there between what the word said they ought to do and how they ought to live and the way in which they were living. As we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word is profitable for correction. And the people being corrected for their sins began to weep and began to repent. And there is an important place for repentance, friends. There's an important place for repentance. In fact, preparing the way for the Messiah, for Jesus to come, John the Baptist called the people to repent and to be baptized. There is an important place of repentance. So as the people began to listen, uh, they recognized again how far they were from the standard of God's word and, uh, and, and, and it sparked in them a grief over their sin. And so they began to mourn. When the word of God was opened again, uh, man, we have failed, we have failed, we have failed. Oh, we have failed. And every one of those verses, that's what they were thinking. Oh God, you warned us, but we didn't take you seriously. You told us what would happen to our families and to our children if we didn't follow your way, but we did not listen to you. We ended up in captivity and brought reproach to your name because we did not listen to you. This is, this is what's happening. And then something strange happens. Something strange happens and we go, well, wait a minute, are they not supposed to? He says, do not mourn, do not weep. Are they not supposed to repent and mourn? No, that's not, that's not what they're saying. That's not what they're saying. Nehemiah, the Ezraites, the Levites, they say, you know, this is a holy day. Do not mourn and grieve. What do we make of this? Well, one reason is the time of the calendar year was the Feast of Trumpets. And, 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 and the Feast of Trumpets was a, was a time of celebration. And though they had disobeyed for many years, God 
was, was reinstating them and restoring them. Again, a celebration. They had, they had been brought back from captivity. They had been moved back and by God's sovereign hand, he was upon them and they had rebuilt the temple and reestablished worship. And now they had rebuilt the walls and reestablished protection in the name of their Lord and overcome their enemies. And Nehemiah is saying, yes, it's true. We were once far away from the Lord. It's true. We had disobeyed the Lord, but see, God is restoring us. God is reviving us. God is reinstating us. You don't need to continue to grieve over what was. It's a new day and it's a day of joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God had made a way for these imperfect people to be forgiven and reminded them that I kept my promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and your ancestors and I am keeping my promise to you and I have restored you and this is a reason for joy. This is a day of joy. It's okay to be joyful in church. Nehemiah made a brief speech in verses 9 and 10. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What a, what a timely word. You know, the, the enemy would love nothing more than to crush us in grief over sins that have been forgiven. When we repent before God and there's a place and and, and, and we need to repent over our sin. But we don't need to get stuck. We don't need to get stuck. Because Jesus already paid the price. We don't need to keep paying it over and over and over again. There, there are some of you that don't experience the joy of the Lord because you think your relationship with God is repentance all day, every day, all the time. There's not a joy because you, you're not experiencing and rejoicing in forgiveness and God's mercy and grace. When, you, when the people are feeling that they were being crushed, Jesus said in Matthew, he said this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flax he will not quench. You see, Nehemiah is saying to the people, you're mourning and you're grieving. Listen, 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 listen. <laughs> There's a place for that. But now I want you to see that God has restored us. This is, there's a place for that, but stop, war, stop. This is a holy day. It is time to rejoice in the Lord. When we repent, when we repent of our sin, there's a joy that follows. There's a joy that ought to flow out of our lives. And we ought to walk as a people who are forgiven and have a joyous relationship with our Savior. We ought to walk in joy. Walk in joy. I know we like to put the joy of the Lord as your strength on a Hallmark card or on a t-shirt. But get this, when you, when you take a look at what's really going on here, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Th this whole idea of, of, of strength, the word strength, virtually all modern English translations in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength, but virtually every commentary that you read, at, at, when you do a word study on the word strength, it, it, it doesn't treat it as strength, it's a stronghold. Fortress, refuge, and protection. The Hebrew word is meos. It's used 37 times in the Old Testament. 37 times. 14 times it's translated as stronghold. Seven times it's translated as refuge. Seven times as fortress. Three times as protection. And only one time as strength. 
right here in verse 10. So what are we to make of that? Well, again, the people are weeping with grief. Grief over what? Well, what comes out of their sins. In Nehemiah chapter 9, there's this long confession before before Yahweh of the sins of their ancestors and the sins of the people. In fact, Nehemiah 9.33 is a great example of this. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully as we have acted wickedly. This was their grief. They were recognizing how far they were from the standard. They were repenting of that and their grief, and they had guilt and they had fear. And then Nehemiah comes along in verse 18 and says, but there's a refuge for that. For that grief that you're, that you're feeling and that, 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 that mourning that you're happening over the fact that the wrath of God has come, there's a refuge for that. There's a stronghold in the midst of the wrath. There's a fortress in the midst of the wrath. There's protection against what grieves you, your sin. There's protection against that grieving of your sin, the sin that comes and the holy judgment of God. There's protection of that. There's a stronghold for that. Well, what's that stronghold? It's the joy of the Lord. Replace your grieving with joy. Come into the refuge from your sin and your guilt and away from the holy wrath of God. And when you do, there is a joy of the Lord that becomes your refuge from the wrath of God and the judgment and the guilt and the shame. Come on, are you getting this? The joy of the Lord God. He is your savior. It is your refuge. Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt you. Come on. The people didn't understand. They continued to weep and mourn three times, three times. Nehemiah and the people have to say, this is a holy day. Stop your mourning and grieving. This is a holy day. Stop your mourning and grieving. And finally, there's a new understanding that comes. And by verse 12, they get it. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. There is a time of repentance, but when you repent and you call on the name of the Lord and you say, God, forgive me of my sin. I'm grieved over my sin. It says that we have a God who is faithful and just. When we confess our sins, a God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus, all our sins have been forgiven. When you come to the Lord, when you come to Jesus and you put your faith and you say, Jesus, I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm repenting over my sin. You are finding in Jesus a refuge. You're finding in him a strength. And when you come under the refuge of Jesus Christ, when you come under his blood, there is a new refuge and there is a joy that comes from saying, I am spared from the wrath of God. I am spared from his judgment because of what Jesus has done. And that ought to be a reason to rejoice. You see the fear of God without the joy in God, there's no refuge from the wrath of God. God had restored his people, giving them a second chance through his mercy, his goodness, and his grace. Friends, repentance leads to joy. In Psalm 51, David's offering a prayer of repentance And and he understood that repentance leads to joy. Look what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So he's he's repenting, right? He's repenting. Cast me not away. O God, renew a right spirit. And then he says, restore to me the joy. What's the joy of your salvation? 
there is joy in salvation. When you, when you know that you've been saved, when you know that you've given your life to Jesus and you've been saved, saved from the wrath of God and forgiven from your sin, friends, there is joy. There is joy. There is joy. There is joy. True repentance leads to joy, friends. And that leads us to number three. The joy of the Lord remains in our lives through obedience to God's word. Through obedience to God's word. So you hear the word of the Lord. You begin to see where you are. It begins to revive your heart. Begins to convict you. You begin to mourn over your sin. You come to Jesus. You recognize his forgiveness and his grace. And he's a refuge. And there's joy. How do you keep that joy? Through obedience to the word of God. Again, they're made aware through the reading of the, of the law that there's a feast they haven't celebrated since the days of Joshua. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Here it is, verses 16 and 17. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assemblies of those who had returned from captivity, from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for from the days of Joshua the son of Nun, that's Joshua to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great, look at this, what's the word? Rejoicing. There was great rejoicing. So, so what's going on here? Well, uh, th this is a seven-day camp out. It was something that had been established when Moses had brought the people out of Egypt to commemorate their wandering in the wilderness in temporary housing while they waited on the promises of God. It was a reminder that God had saved them and a reminder that God was with him and a reminder that even when they were wandering in the wilderness, God was providing for them. It was to be a, a celebration and a reminder. And so for seven days, they were to put up temporary shelters. They were to go out and they were to cut down different branches and they were to put temporary shelters. And those temporary shelters were a reminder that God was a shelter of protection for them, even in the midst of the wilderness and wandering when he had set them free. And so they say, you know what? We haven't done this. Now, this was not normal for them to do. This was not a normal thing. It hadn't been done since the days of Joshua. But sometimes when you follow God's word, it doesn't match up with what's normal for the culture. Uh-oh, did I just say that? Right? Biblically doesn't always fit culturally. But when God's word is valued in our lives and when it becomes the authority in our lives, we begin to obey the Lord. And as the people obeyed the word of the Lord, in verse 17 it says, there was much rejoicing. We want to remain and keep joy in our lives. It comes when we begin to obey the word of the Lord. We begin to walk in obedience to God's word. Because the word of the Lord brings life and it brings joy, and it brings healing, and it leads us to freedom. It leads us to freedom. Worship team, will you come? Nehemiah and the people, they came to understand that the joy of the Lord is their strength, their refuge, their protection, their covering. And as a result of this, a great revival 
and renewal began to happen among the people. While Nehemiah had been a part of rebuilding physical walls, now through the reading and response to God's word, the people began to be revived in their hearts and in their spirit. They began to be renewed and they began to experience joy as they understood God's forgiveness and God's restoration and his, and his, his forgiveness. And as they were willfully obeyed the Lord, they began to walk in joy. Oh, they had sinned against the Lord and they experienced the brokenness and the exile. But God said, I'm faithful and I brought you back home. I brought you back home. I brought you back. I've given you a second chance. You've come back and I'm restoring your life. I'm restoring the brokenness in your life. I'm restoring that brokenness. I'm restoring those things in you. Find in me a refuge. Find in me a strength. And when you do, you will discover joy. You'll discover joy. Oh, we've been called to joy. Oh, did repairs have to be made? Did breaches have to be fixed? Did messes have to be picked up? Did relationships have to be mended? Absolutely. That's what happens when we respond to the word of the Lord. God begins a rebuilding process in our life. And that rebuilding process leads to a reviving process, a refreshing process, a renewing process where we begin to discover that there is joy in the Lord. There is joy in the Lord. The enemy did everything he could to try to stop the process, but God's word renewed them spiritually. They rebuilt the walls physically, but God's word renewed them spiritually. Do you need a renewing in your life? Do you need joy in your life? Have you experienced the salvation that Jesus offers? Do you know that he is your refuge from the wrath and the judgment of God? Are you worried about that? What, what, what's going to happen if I die and I have to stand before God? Do you, have you been forgiven of your sin? Have you recognized that the, 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 the only answer to the separation that we have between us and God, our sin and our, in his holiness, is to come and find a refuge in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gave his life and died on the cross for us. Friends, if you need joy in your life, I invite you to come and say, Jesus, I need to find a refuge in you for the joy of the Lord is my refuge. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. Do you need joy? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need to experience restoration? Do you need revival and renewal in your heart? If you do, let's respond this morning. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've not, maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you've never come to him and experienced his salvation. Maybe you've never humbled yourself and said, oh, Lord, I need a savior in you. But today, 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 you say the Lord's been moving in my heart and I, I need that. I need his forgiveness. I need to know that I'm forgiven. I need to know that that I, there's a clean slate. I need to know that, I, that, 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 that my guilt has been, it, 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 that I have. I'm guilty and I just, I need to know his forgiveness and grace. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need his forgiveness and grace in my life. I need the forgiveness and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. 
in my life. Maybe it's been a while for you. Secondly, you're here and you say, it's been a while and I just, man, I'm just struggling with joy. I, I gave my life to Jesus, but man, I'm just struggling and I'm struggling with joy. I just keep being reminded of, of things and I just continue to just struggle. And you say, I need a revival of joy. I need a renewing of joy in my heart today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need joy. I need joy restored in my life. I need joy restored in my life. Anyone at all, I need joy. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Father, we just come to you. The joy of the Lord is our salvation. We just pray that, Lord, you would begin to restore us with joy. We come to you. You are our refuge and you are our strength. Thank you that, Lord, in you there is joy. In you there is peace. In you there is forgiveness. Oh, Jesus, we come to you and we ask you, oh, Lord, to restore us with your joy today. I just pray the joy of the Lord would be our refuge and strength. Revive our hearts and renew us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.